set up uh, um, before and of course since uh, from this time on as well uh, you can find those on the imts.com website under the education tab and if you notice like right down below uh, we've got a, a chat box and that means it's, it's not not a Q&A box it's a chat box and that means you guys can talk to each other as well as post questions for Dr. Jim today. Uh, I'll be monitoring those. I'm sure Jim will be watching those as well. And, uh, uh, you know, you can say hi, say where you're from, and, uh, and, uh, uh, and if you have any comments or questions regarding uh, Dr. Jim's presentation today, be sure and stick them in down there, and we'll make sure that we answer them. If we do not get to them during the presentation, don't worry, we will save time at the end. Uh, for Q&A. So, uh, like I said, uh, I want to get in, get right into this. Dr. Jim, now, I think the most important question that is on everybody's mind right now is, is Maryland going to beat Kansas <laughs> on uh, this weekend in the well, Sweet 16? I, I need to know from you. As a former Terrapin, I, so I have this split loyalty now. Because before, 10 years ago, I would have said, oh, Maryland is going to win. But my split loyalty is another team also. Both of our kids went to Syracuse. So Syracuse oh, no. Been, I'm sorry. But Syracuse probably shouldn't have been in March Madness at all. It's working its way up. It made it to the Sweet 16. So right now, I'm just going to split my loyalties. I would love to see the Terps win. But also, I'd like to see the Orange win. So uh, it, a lot of good viewing. For the us. only thing good about them is that they're orange, okay? You know they're orange. That's that's the only thing good about them. So okay. So, all right. We got a we got a split vote here. I just want to throw yeah. out there that I had a perfect perfect bracket the day that it started. I got all sixteen right. Really? And then it probably fell apart all the here at AMT. <laughs> Even though I picked Michigan State to win, so now I'm like out. I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 So. Anyway, I think everybody did too. So okay, so let's uh, let's <laughs> all seriousness aside, let's get let's get on onto this. Now, um, we're talking about emotional intelligence, uh, and uh, you know I've read a lot of stuff about this, uh, Jim, and and I, I I think I really would like to hear from you. What is it? What what is emotional intelligence? I know it's not IQ. But it's some type of measurement of of my self worth. No, I'm kidding. But uh, uh, but it's some type of measurement of, of of my value, of my personality. I don't know. You see, I'm confused. I'm sure <clears throat> other people are too. Well, let me take a shot. Basically, what emotional intelligence is, everybody, it's not IQ. That's the first thing we need to establish. And the reason that's important is that when a lot of people take these emotional intelligence or EQ emotional quotients, just the way it's measured tests, sometimes their scores aren't very high. And they think, well, that's the same as IQ, so if I have low EQ or a low EI, it means that I'm stupid. And that's really not the case at all. What EI is looking at, and this is one of the slides we'll look at later this morning, it's looking at four moving pieces. So it's basically saying, am I aware of my thoughts and feelings to the point that I can control them, and that once I'm under good self-control, can I be objectively aware of what's going on around me and then make the most best interactions with people? So when you look at it just like that, it sounds like, well, what does that have to do with business? There actually is an incredible amount of research that now shows that if a company has high EI, 
the entire workforce. People are more mindful about what's going well and what's tweaking them. They have self-control to be able to know what situations to involve themselves or not. Their objectivity about other people and other situations is much higher, so they know which opportunities to take advantage of. And then they can make the best collaborative working relationships with people to be able to drive the best results. So what's happened is something that started off and might have sounded a little bit squishy. And in fact, the main, one of the main writers in this name is Goldman. His first book, which is just called Emotional Intelligence, it read like a textbook. And I tried reading it, and it's kind of a hard read. His second book is called Working with Emotional Intelligence. And in that book, he draws all the connections between real-life work situations and the research to show if people basically have themselves in check and can make the best interactions with people, businesses function at a higher level, and those are better places to work. So that's my, my thumbnail of EI. What do you think, Steve? Okay. Okay, that's your thought. So, so if I'm aware, uh, as an individual, if I'm aware of, of my EI, I can um, take advantage of my strengths and maybe be aware of my weaknesses. Well, let, let me okay. make it more concrete. Let's say that you have a boss that's a hothead. So that's one of our topics, you know, company hothead. You have a boss that's a hothead, and he's making your life miserable. And you make a decision, you know, I'm going to have low EI today. I'm going to go into his office and tell him exactly what I think of him. Steve, how do you think that situation is going to go? Um, not so well, frankly. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, sure. yeah, really, it's going to go bad. And he's probably a better hothead than anybody else. So he's going to go in and say, how dare you speak to me this way, and I think you're being insubordinate, and I may need to let you go or demote you. So mm -hmm. let's replay that situation. Let's say that you had a very high EI day, and you start off by going, how do I really feel about this boss? So you start by saying, he annoys me and he's been thwarting my career. And then you went mm -hmm. on to the second step, which is self-control or self-management. You went, well, do I think I should go and talk to him now? Probably not, because I'm not really in a good place, and I'm probably going to say some things I don't want to say. Then you say, all right, now that I've made a decision not to talk to him now, what else is going on that I need to take into account? Um, we're, in the major, we're in the middle of a major initiative right now and he's probably under more stress than he normally is. So I gotta take that into account that he's even worse than he usually is. So then in terms of managing my relationship with him, what should I do? All right, for the time being, I'm gonna try to be respectful. I'm gonna try to be helpful. Doesn't mean I'm gonna roll over, but it means I'm gonna keep on trying to make this work going forward and at least get through this initiative push and then figure out a time and a place to speak to him a certain way so that we can have a constructive conversation. So that would be a, a real but it would be and, and it would be really and it would be a lot better. I'm seeing this now, okay. It would be a lot better if the boss has also gone through this and understands you know his or her EI. Yeah. Well, in a perfect world, yes. So if we look at AMT as an example, that's the commitment that the AMT organization has made. Every single person right. at this point at AMT has had EI training. Both the okay. Uh, McLean workforce and also the, the global workforce. So that was basically Doug and senior management saying, 
we want to start by making sure everybody can do this. So this is some of the stuff, Rochelle, that you've been involved in. Yeah, um, definitely. I can say for myself, it just makes you more aware. And also, um, you know, you can bring it up if, if you feel like somebody's not using EI or we've all had the training. So it's <coughs> everybody's aware of your emotions and kind of makes you take a step back to look at situations and see how to best approach them. So I'm going to loop back then to something Absolutely. that you just said, Steve, where you said, you know, would it be helpful if the boss had EI training? Yes, but that's a perfect world, and oftentimes that's not true. And okay. that for, you know, any of the folks who are on the, the video chat today, that most of you are going to be in situations where people have not had EI training. What you having, any of you having gone through some, and in fact, if you haven't bought that book, by the way, I get nothing from that book, but um, in terms of I don't get any royalties or anything, but if you buy the book, take the test, use that book as an opportunity to work on yourselves a little bit, you'll start learning different ways to negotiate through situations. And so if you want to use a March Madness analogy a little bit, um, having been a Terp, the ACC, which is what the Terps used to be in, the ACC was known for a four corners defense. And for those of you who don't like sports analogies, I'll make this very fast. And the four corners defense, what it does is that basically, if you want to slow down the game, you start passing the ball from corner to corner to corner to corner of the court. And it slows down the game and eventually can defensively give you an edge. That's what EI can do. So if you're working with somebody who's a hothead, or you're working with somebody who won't talk to you, it slows down the speed of all these interactions between you and allows for a more constructive, level-headed discourse to happen, which otherwise won't. So you can use this with people who haven't had the training. It doesn't go quite as fast or quite as easily, but it does work. Why don't, I'm going to click to the next slide a little bit. Sure. So you're thinking, boy, and just so you all know, also, I'm getting over the flu, so I sound a little bit froggy. You'll see me drinking tea a little bit, but I'm other, otherwise I'm fine. Michelle, thanks for posting that, uh, that reference. So why do I sound shrinky? Because I'm a psychologist. Um, all of my work, though, is consulting to companies. So you can see that you know, my PhD is from Maryland, so that's where all the Terp talk. The Terrapin is the mascot of Maryland, uh, if you don't know that. So I have a PhD in counseling psych with a minor in industrial organizational psychology. Been a management consultant now for over 25 years. Consulted to over 300 companies over 25 industries. The core of my approach is EI. I, and a lot of the work that I do, I work with entire workforces, but I do specifically a lot of work with executives. That when I find that a workforce or an executive team has, EI, has high EI, they are more mindful, more thoughtful, more respectful, more constructive. When they don't have those things, they are more disrespectful, non-communicative, siloed, and destructive in their dealings with others, which you can imagine that kind of mucks up the day. So, well, silos, we silos, that's, that's just a common problem, though. That's a big common problem. So, yeah, every once in a while, folks, you'll see me referencing different books. I'm a pretty voracious reader. So if you want to learn more about silos, silos are basically um, where think of like a grain silo or a corn silo from the Midwest that 
silos or that departments live in their own sort of verticals and they have big walls around them and they don't communicate nor do they collaborate very well. And as a result, a department can do its work, but when you look at the work that any company is doing, it's actually a collaboration of the departments. So again, going back to EI, if you keep on working at, we need to be well connected with all the departments, that's how you create a good product. So let's take IMTS, for example. IMTS is not just the result of the exhibitions department at AMT. It's a result of a range of departments that are all interlinked like this, and that's how you have you know, the wonderful show every other year. Um, so the change in the business world is soft skills communicate, EI, and so forth. In the old world business schools, it used to be nice to have. New world of businesses, soft skills create results, and they're a better place to work because people are mindful and respectful of each other. So old world business was we pay people well enough so they should produce. I think what the business world is seeing is that doesn't work that well anymore, that people want to have a sense of that they are respected, that they're in the loop, that they have an opportunity to collaborate and communicate. Um, and oftentimes what I find irritating is this is seen as, well, that's just a millennial phenomenon. It's not a millennial phenomenon. It's what the American workforce wants. Um, there was a corn ferry survey that was cited on LinkedIn yesterday that talked about what is the most important thing that people want on their jobs. In addition to wanting all sorts of alternative bonusing, so uh, spot bonuses and things of that sort, the most important thing is they want career development. They want a company to pay attention to them and to develop them. And that companies that do that, the workforce stays. The companies that don't do that, the workforce leaves. And to my embarrassment, I see in some of my clients who are still grappling with this idea that they, they don't understand that it's important to have a better place to work. And that when that doesn't happen, high potentials leave. And every time another one leaves, there's always another a new excuse about, well, you know, he or she had a better opportunity, or they weren't that happy here anyway. And the fact is, because sometimes I'll speak to these folks, they'll call me, they'll say, you want to know why I left? I'll say, sure. Say, I wasn't happy, my boss treated me poorly, and I want to have a better day for myself. And that's what a high EI workforce gets you, that people come in every single day, and they want to be there, because they're treated with respect and they're communicated to there are no silos, and there's high collaboration. And then the result is, if the business has a sound business model, the company flourishes, thrives. Certainly, we see that at AMT. This has been benefiting AMT greatly. Um, another client of mine that I cite frequently is a company called G Ampersand C Foods in Syracuse, New York. So if any of you want to Google, in fact, I'll put their name in here. Sorry, I don't type that thing. Christopher Columbus. Right. If you just uh, if you you Google GNC Foods, you'll find them. There are sections to their website just has to do with the culture, and 
their dramatic growth was enabled because they switched their culture, amongst other things, to have a very high EI culture. And they talk about EI all the time. And that's become a major part of their value proposition. Now, that, that, I, I might be asking a question that's kind of off in left field here, but I, I actually don't think it is. That, you know, when you talk about today's world and, the way, and, and how people, you, you know, everybody knows that, uh, you know, people are working longer hours. People have more responsibility than ever. And so, you know, I mean, it was bad enough when you were just working 40 hours a week I mean, that was taking a big chunk out of your life, you know, essentially a third of your life. Uh, and now, you know, I think I've seen studies that say, you know, we're approaching, you know, close to 50 hours a week, you know, that people are working. So just the idea of if you don't enjoy going to work, you know, even more so now, uh, is even more important now that you, that people do want. Like you say, they want, they want to feel um, you know, respect, and they they want to feel like uh, they're being they're fulfilled, and that and they're happy to go to work. Is that right? Correct. But then, see, sometimes there's a counterpoint to that, which is, if you have a low EI culture, can you still make money? The answer is yes. There are a lot of very large companies. I believe Apple is one of them. That basically they're not very nice places to work. And the company makes a lot of money, and the workers make a lot of money. But the question is, is that the way you want to spend your day? Because the fact is, you can have financial success and have a place you want to go to every day. And that's not right. a pie-in-the-sky notion. That, that's really achievable. And I would say, why wouldn't you do it? So that was the first point I made there. You know, if you're just going to do EI to make more money, it doesn't really work because it's not very genuine. So I'd say if that's, you know, for folks who are tuned in today, if you're going, yeah, we'll do this and we'll make more money. No. You do it because it's the right way to treat people. And motivationally, people like to be treated well. You treat people well, they treat you well back. It's the, you know, the easiest quid pro quo in the world. Treat me well, I'll treat you well. Um, you know, the question, do you want to work at a place that you want to get up and go to in the morning? You know, if the answer is sometimes or no, do you think that affects the way you work? Um, let me try something. I don't know if this is going to work in the format we have. Yeah. Let me talk this to the participants. So how many of you think that a company can do very well with a workforce that doesn't want to be there every day? Anybody want to weigh in? Just want to see what people are thinking about that. Yeah. Or even or just raise your hand. So. Yeah, how many how many think a workforce that does not get along can do well? That's everybody. No, I'm kidding. Nobody. Nobody. No. It, it can't. And again, because I'm a consultant to a whole workforce, but also that's always including the senior management team. I can tell reasons why companies are underperforming. This is usually one of the core reasons. And it doesn't mean that people aren't friendly with each other, but there are times they're just downright disrespectful to each other. And because it's a hard place to be every day because you're waiting to see, you know, who's going to do the gotcha? Who's going to talk to you badly? Who's going to yell at you? The 
company hothead. It's very hard to stay focused and motivated in those kind of scenarios. Appreciate, you know, where companies where people want to be, typically the findings are there's more innovation, there's higher productivity, and the higher quality employees, your high potentials, want to be there and stay and then eventually become the senior leaders of tomorrow. Um, the other thing that's interesting also is the idea of a company becoming a magnet. And for those of you who are on the, the podcast, I don't know if you ever heard of this, but whenever I start a culture journey um, with a company to make it a more a higher EI, a higher participatory culture, I'll say to them, if you stick with this long enough, what you're going to find is that in your locale, people are going to want to work at your company. You're not going to have as hard a time finding high-quality employees anymore because they're going to come find you. And well, and the, yeah, the employees themselves, the employees themselves are going to are going to say that. Exactly, because you know it's on a weekend and you're having a beer with somebody, and they say, "I'm not really happy where I work. What do you think about where you work?" You say, "I love where I work. They treat me well. The work is really exciting. I'm getting paid fairly. It's it's marketing you can never afford to pay for. Right. It's so so in fact, higher EI workforces." become a point of attraction. Um, let's go on then. So how does the EI affect business performance? First and foremost, it makes people want to produce. That you get more focused attention and people have the motivation to get things done and it's perpetuated because of the culture encouraging people to think and engage in a certain way. Um, think about it for yourselves that all of us at least have had one job in our lives where that was a really great place to work. And the reason that it was is that you were treated very well. It wasn't just that you were paid well, you were treated very well. And then think about what it was like to drive to work in the morning. So you're driving in in the morning and you're thinking about the different things you want to do, focused attention. And you're getting kind of excited when you pull in the driveway and you're working towards your desk and you picked up your first cup of coffee and you're going, got some important cool things to do today, motivation to get it done. And there might be some days that you're not even feeling that great about being there because you're out of sorts or, like me, you're getting over the flu. And it's just you're not bringing your A game. But everybody around you is up and they're willing to help you out. And they're seeing if you're dragging a little bit to try to perk you up, a culture encouraging people to think and engage. The other part of it also, there's a mantra that one of my clients uses to engage people. And it's called ask for forgiveness, not for permission. Similar to uh, Jim Collins in Good to Great talked about uh, freedom within a framework. It's the same idea. And that in that company to say to people, we want you to try things. We want you to think before you do, but we want you to try things and not feel that every single thing you try you need to ask permission for. And a lot of times, you know, Steve and Rochelle, people will say, well, isn't this create chaos and everyone's running around and trying different things? You'd be surprised that's not the case. Why is it? Because you, when you hire right and you have the right work environment, people can have wonderful common sense. And in this company, they in fact do. When you look at the flip side of this, which is what makes people underproduce, it's distractions. And a lot of the distractions are coworkers. That it's somebody in the next desk over or the next cube over or just somebody within your department or your boss or whatever, 
who has poor emotional self-control. And every single day, you're sort of wading yourself through, how do I get past them interrupting me, not listening to me, over-talking me, yelling at me? And it kind of it slaps you back. Um, I'm doing some work right now with a company president who actually has these bad characteristics. And he had wondered why a VP on his team was underperforming. I said, let me give you a sort of a little metaphor what it's like. Every single time you talk poorly to this person, it's like you just slap them in the face. Oh, and you slap them again. And you slap them again. And it was interesting to watch this president sort of grappling. He says, that's what I'm doing. I said, that's you, my friend. I said, I know your VP really well. He wants to perform. But you keep on using these verbal slaps. You're demotivating him. And I know you're not happy with his performance, but you could talk to him in a higher EI way and make it so that he makes the decision to get his arms around it, not you smacking him into some kind of submission. So, you know, again, the source of most of the distractions, fellow workers and bosses to talk to them, the ways that distract others, take them off task, lower productivity, and in turn actually insidiously cost companies in a variety of ways. Um, and, and because it's less obvious, because it's insidious, it takes companies a long time to figure this out. And if the president, the CEO, and the senior management team is not into this stuff, they're never going to detect it. They're going to go, we just have people who are too privileged, and they just need more money, and I'm thinking, it's not what they need. But you could stop yelling at them. That would be a good start. And when you see them in the morning, don't grunt at them. And when you have good information to share, why don't you keep them in the loop? When you look at the cure, Steve, to this stuff, a lot of it costs zero. Nothing Creating a high AI workforce costs nothing. So, you know, so the thing that Doug does that I like at AMT, he does the monthly shop meeting. I love the whole idea of the monthly shop meeting, which goes back to his days as a manufacturer, where he would actually, because I've consulted in his other companies, He'd actually get the whole shop together and stand in the middle of the shop with all the machines, and he would have a shop meeting. He does the same thing at AMT. And I think it's a great way to quickly bring people into the loop. And people appreciate that. So Let me ask you a question about, about that. Um, uh, you know, you, you talk about uh, leaders or management. Uh, and how they talk to people or how they treat people or something like that, or you talk about, you know, the, the client who uh, verbally slaps the guy. Um, what, you know, what do you say when their response is, well, what can, they can't take constructive criticism? Well, that's you know, or I can't what, give them constructive criticism? That was kind of what this president was saying back to me. I said, yeah, this VP can take constructive criticism, but you don't have to, you know, put it inside of a fist, said, mm -hmm. what you're dealing with in business, just because it's business, it doesn't mean that human nature is not in play. If you talk right. to a person poorly, all they're paying attention to is, why are you talking to me so badly? They're not listening to anything at that point. And I've also had executives say, well, is there any way around? I said, no, it's in our hard wiring. Before any of us went into business and got jobs, we're human beings. We respond well to some things. We respond poorly to other things. So I just say, you don't have to talk in a 
sort of a sweetie pie, mamby pamby, oh, you're just so wonderful kind of a way. But if somebody's underperforming, you could say, um, hey, Bob, when you do this this way and you fall behind, that really messes up the rest of us. And I need to talk with you about some changes I need you to make. Versus, that was a really screwy way to get it done, and now you've messed all of us up. Mm -hmm. I gave the same message, but the first way was a high EI approach, second way was low EI. Gave the exact same message. If you take out the vinegar, the person doesn't have to feel, have that bad taste in their mouth. Mm -hmm. And you can give the okay. exact same message. And it can sound, you don't have to sound like a psychologist. I don't sound like a psychologist when I talk to people. It freaks them out. Uh, so let's go on into the next slide. So some typical low EI distractors, authors with authoritarian management styles, basically these are people who are going to tell you everything that you need to do. These are micromanagers who will cause lower accountability innovation because you're not giving the other person a chance to make the decision to engage. When you look at the new models of accountability, they're all based upon, and this, this comes from two guys named Connors and Smith. Um, the name of the book is The Book of Why, and I can't remember the subtitle, but it's The Book of Why, Connors and Smith, that they basically say, if you give people the tools to do the job, clear expectations about how it should be done, a way to measure their success, and make sure that they have the skills and coaching necessary, and then let them know, hey, you as the employee, you need to make a decision you're going to do this. And if you make the decision to engage and get the job done, then this is great. You get to stay. If you make the decision you're not going to do it, we're going to try to find out why you would make that kind of a decision because it makes no sense. But if you remain adamant and decide that you are not going to do this, then we're going to fire you because this isn't a good place for you and you're not a good person for us. So it, new style accountability isn't forcing people to be accountable, it's saying, we want you to make this decision to be accountable. Very high E approach. Second thing for low EI distractors, the peers not accountable to other peers. And what you have then is low accountability between teammates so that teams underperform and then functions that need to be working with each other, they don't collaborate that well with each other. When you look at it also, what makes a company offer a high quality product or service it's the collaboration between the teams. So think of any online retailer you like. So let's pick uh, Land's End. I like Land's End. So when you get that good service from the website works really well, customer service people are very helpful, you get your stuff on time, usually a little bit early. It's not because there's one department doing that. It's bunches of departments who are interacting with each other. It's where you have peers accountable to other peers. The last one is subordinates frustrated with poor direction from bosses not feeling a sense of ownership, so the job becomes a paycheck. <coughs> Excuse me. This results in employees being demotivated by poor bosses, peers, and subordinates, which happens. So again, low EI workforce, we're not communicating, we're not telling you what to do. So the net net, a low EI person makes others unhappy and disengaged. And that's where it's important, Steve, for management to take an action on somebody who has low EI. And I'm not meaning fire them. It's like take the time to find out why are they acting that way. If somebody is acting all snarly at work, there's a reason. Most of us have been taught by our moms and dads, you should behave when you're at work. This is common sense. 
So if somebody's not acting well, the boss should take the time and say, hey, James, what's going on? You come to work every day. You have a big frown on your face, yet you have a good job. You have good teammates. We even pay you well. So what makes it so you look like a person who doesn't want to be here? What's interesting, Steve, is that in a lot of the cases, that has nothing to do with work. But that begins a different discussion. When it does mm -hmm. have to do with work, it's a chance for that boss to train that person. The simplest thing to do, give them a copy of that Bradbury and Greaves book and have them start understanding their emotional intelligence and seeing what they could do to become a more effective employee. Right. So cause of a disengaged workforce. So if you have bunches of low EI people, you're going to have a disengaged workforce. So this was a Gallup study of the global workforce. Um, I got this from an article from Ariana IU, the enormous cost of unhappy employees. These numbers are staggering. Actively disengaged workers cost around a half a trillion dollars per year to the American business world. That's mind-boggling. And you might think that that's an exaggeration. I work in companies where I see pockets of disengagement. You can attach numbers to that. Mm -hmm. I see when things don't get done, I'll go, I know why those don't get done. Because mm -hmm. that person has a boss who doesn't listen. That person has a, a coworker who slows them down. That person has a boss from another department is making them miserable so they underperform. Uh, another quick story. I used to consult for a company that had a, an owner who was mostly a nice guy, except when he was not. And he would yell at his people every once in a while. So I used to coach the one of the executives there. So he said to me once, do you know what happens on days when he yells at us? I said, no, what happens? He said, on those days, we ceremoniously stand up at 5 o'clock and the whole office walks out. I said, so it's 5 o'clock. What's the significance of that? He said, normally we'd be there till 7. He said, that's our way of saying, you got your nine hours. You're not getting any more. And they all stand up and walk out at the same time. That's powerful stuff. Flip mm -hmm. side, organizations with highly engaged workforces, meaning happy employees, high high EI employees, 22% higher profitability, among other positive indicators. They net 20% more in profit. So amazing. Plus, That's significant. Yeah. So it's like, good reason to do this. So mm -hmm. this is the model. Um, I don't know how many folks who are on the call today actually took the test, but I hope if you haven't that you make the opportunity to do that. I lifted this right out of the emotional intelligence appraisal. And so basically, those are the four boxes that I was referring to before. So when you look at, there are multiple models of EI. On that stuff on the left where it says personal competence and social competence, those are usually two of the main big moving pieces of EI. What's going on inside of your head? What's going on as you interact with other people? What I like about Bradbury and Greaves Model's really simple, so it's very easy to remember. Some of the other models might have 14 or 15 factors in them. And although they're interesting, and you might want to read them, so if you read Working with Emotional Intelligence by Goldman, that has a more complex model. I think it's fascinating. But if you want to get your feet wet a little bit, try this one. So personal competence means am I self-aware, aware of my thoughts and feelings, and can I control them? self-management. 
And then for social confidence, once I understand what's going on with myself and I can control them, is how do I use that objectivity to look at what's going on around me right now? And then how do I use that to make better work relationships with people? And it's really pretty much that simple. So how EI creates focused performance. It's, a, it's who you are now, not forever. So, you know, Steve, good question you asked in the beginning, saying, you know, EI, IQ, same, same. No, not at all. Um, that you need to see developing EI not as a, oh, God, your EI is so terrible, we need to do something about it. We're all somewhere on the EI development continuum. So I'll say for myself, I sometimes have differently wonderful EI days. And some days I just have lousy EI days. It's like bad biorhythms or something's going on. Um, I do keep on trying to work on it. That's the only thing I give myself credit for, but that's probably about it. Um, look at these different things. So, but, but what you're saying, like you say, is that it, it, it can vary literally day to day. Um, and, uh, and, and that the, one of the important factors of using EI is, is, be, is, becoming, uh, is becoming consciously aware of where, kind of where you are. Exactly. And the, I'll, I'll go further, Steve. I like the way you're talking about that. It's like a muscle. The more you practice it, the better you get. The less you mm -hmm. practice it, the worse you'll be. And so it's right. and it's a personal decision. So I can't say, you know, for all the folks who are joining us this morning, you know, you all should go out and have wonderful EI. It's none of my business, actually. Although certainly you must have some interest in this because you gave us an hour of your, your morning. Um, but if you make the decision to do this stuff, you will, you'll have a better business life. You'll probably have a better life because you'll understand yourself better, your likes, your dislikes, your wants, your needs. You'll know when to do something versus not, so your impulsivity will go down. You'll be more objective when people come up to you, so it's not unusual during the workday somebody comes up to you, and they might not be that nice. But if you're feeling centered, all the stuff right now going on about mindfulness, if you're feeling centered, it gives you the opportunity to say, all right, I don't need to take that personally. Why don't I take a moment and ask them a question and find out what's going on right now? Is there something I can do to help them? And so forth. So, so that's where if you make the personal decision to get better at this stuff, you have a better business life, you probably have a better life. So to create a higher EI workforce, it's always got to start at the top, and that needs to include not only the top executive, be that a CEO or a president, but also her senior management team, where there's a decision made, we're going to treat each other differently. It doesn't mean that what we do right now is all bad, all wrong, but we're going to make an attempt to work differently with each other, and then once we solidify that at the top, what we're going to do is to bring that to the entire workforce. In the AMT model, we did those simultaneously. Um, 
I remember when Doug, Doug and I co-designed the program at AMT, and he basically said, Jim, I want it to kind of work like this. I said, okay, what do you mean? He said, well, I want you to work with me and with the senior management team, but I want to also drive it from the bottom up. I want the workforce, as much as senior management is going to provide some pressure on the workforce to have higher EI and to collaborate more with each other, I want the workforce to provide pressure going up and saying, this is how we want you to work with us, and sometimes you're not. And that's, in fact, that dynamic tension is exactly what Doug and I have created. And so sometimes the workforce is not doing things we need them to do. So senior managers saying, hey, guys, we need you to do this and this differently. And sometimes it's the workforce saying, hey, senior management, if you could do this and this differently, we could be more effective for you. So it drives this sort of like, they're almost like a can't. <coughs> accountability partners for each other. And mm -hmm. as you see Rochelle nodding and making some comments during this morning's presentation, it's working. Um, he was the first person who ever wanted to do both at the same time to start. But Doug's kind of a visionary, so it didn't surprise me that he wanted to try something different that worked. Um, so for creating higher EI, the reading certainly, you know, EI 2.0 by Bradbury and Greaves. Um, Rachel's, uh, Rochelle's put that in the chat for you. You can get it through Amazon. Um, also, the book uh, Working with Emotional Intelligence by Goldman, also at Amazon. I think everything is at Amazon, basically. For God's sake, you can buy grill parts at Amazon. Um, so that's there. Um, if you want to read about uh, silos, there's a very popular author called Lencioni, L-E-N-C-I-O-N-I. -N -N he wrote a book called um, Silos, Politics, and Turf Wars. The trick also, if you take the, the little emotional intelligence inventory um, assessment by Bradbury and Greaves, take it and see if you could discuss it with the boss. And if, if that's not a good option for whatever reason, discuss it with a coworker. Discuss it with a boyfriend or girlfriend. Um, the discussion makes it more interesting. The nice thing about the book also is, is that the first 60 pages of the book is sort of explanation. The other 100 or so pages, it's a how to make your EI go up manual. And it's, it's keyed into the actual testing results. Um, in your actual results from the emotional intelligence appraisal, It'll say, if you need to work on this, go to page 55. So what a great use of 25 bucks. Um, the trick then is to see if you can get an entire workforce to start working on this. So in the AMC example, the entire workforce now has a copy of the emotional intelligence appraisal. They've read the book. They've been in multiple workshops to amp up EI and created some pretty cool results as, as a result of that. Yeah. Hey, Steve, that's all I got. Well, I think uh, that's that's more than enough fire hose for me today. Um, you know, uh, in, I mean, I'm kind of hearing this from two different perspectives, you know, one being that, uh, you know, that we're talking to, say, individuals who, um, you know, can use EI for self-improvement as well as for, uh, you know, maybe managing themselves better in the workplace with others. Of course, this works outside of the workplace, too. 
uh, and um, you know, in personal relationships and things like that. I, I see that side of it, and then I see the other side talking to, say, the upper management, and saying, okay, if you want, you know, if you want to be more successful, then uh, then you should take a look at how can you raise the EI standards in your office, you know, with with all of your staff and with, you know, between departments, for example, and, and things like that, and, and, and make it a, um, a, you know, a better workplace uh, in, it, in itself, which, which would make it much more efficient, uh, you know, if, if, I mean, if nothing else, it would certainly make it more, uh, more efficient because people would be talking to each other. So, like I said, I'm kind of hearing it from two different sides here. And, if, if you uh, look at all that, just interrupt for a second. If you look at that efficiency, that cues into something that we all find satisfying at work. Think of a day when everything goes efficiently. Isn't that a day that feels better? Yeah, absolutely. So I got a lot done today. Yeah. Versus I had a lot of roadblocks today. Don't feel great. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and there's an old saying, I'm sure you know the saying too, you know, that uh, the bottleneck is always at the top of the bottle, <laughs> right? And yeah. so, uh, you know, I think, and, and I think that, that from a business perspective, I don't think there's any question that, that uh, the, greatest, the greatest impact on a company is when the upper management, the bosses, embrace EI. Uh, maybe not to the extent that Doug is. Doug is kind of like the, uh, you know, the the early adopter leading example of how far you can take EI. You know, when you talk about doing the, you know, the bottom up and the top down type of thing. Um, but at least from a perspective of, of management that, gee whiz, can, you know, if we get people, you know, uh, understanding and embracing EI, then we as a team can we can do this you know much much better every day. Well said. And that's at AMT and as the other clients that I'm working with, that's all we're doing. Trying to make mm -hmm. more of this. All we're doing. Mm -hmm. Should we see if there are any questions from the group at all today? Yeah, I was just yeah, I'm uh, uh, if you do have questions, you know, feel free to stick them right here in the chat. Uh, you know, if, you, if there aren't any questions, then it just it just means that uh, uh, you really did a terrific job of explaining this. And uh, um, I think that I, I think we're going to see a lot of people go out and get at least the EI 2.0. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I think that that that's uh, that's at the very least everybody should go do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't uh, actually, Rochelle. Let me let me let me throw the question. Let me let me throw it to you this way. When you when you guys were first starting, mm -hmm. you know, when Dr. Jim came into AMT, um, what were some of the questions or, you know, eyes rolling, <laughs> you know, this is a bunch of woo-woo, BS, um, you know, what, what were those challenges that you had to overcome as, as a team? Um, I think definitely there was a little, as, as really any organization, when you kind of throw something drastic in like this, people are going to be hesitant because it's a change. Um, so I think at first people were, you know, a little hesitant because, you know, nobody really knew what emotional intelligence was. 
But once we jumped into it, a lot of people thoroughly enjoyed it and really appreciated that, you know, Doug and our senior management are taking a lot of time out of their days to put into this and really make our organization better. So I think it's definitely helped us in a positive way. We're more open to communication and just kind of being more aware of our employees and trying to, to work better together. But I definitely think at first there was kind of a little question behind it, you know, what is this and how is it going to benefit us? Is it really going to work? And, and still to this day, some people are still a little skeptic about it. But I think for the majority of our workforce really appreciates it and uses it and um, it's really helped AMT a lot. I know you guys treat me a lot better. Yes, we try. About time too, you know. I've been you know, I've been, you know, the respect level that I've been going through in the last twenty years has been a little suspect. So, um, anyway, so I'm, I'm, uh, I, and that's a great. That's a, you guys are a great uh, testimony to yeah. the power of this, and uh, and obviously Dr. Jim's help. Yeah. Uh, so, well, we don't have any other questions uh, right now. Um, Jim, I'll just I'll just kind of go back to you, and and I'm going to ask. Okay, what is the what would what is the number one question that you get when you're out working with companies? The number one question I get, sort of beyond the I mean, or no, I mean when you start working with people, what what is typically the I mean is is it an objection? Is there a question that people say, well, you know, what is the deal or or um, I mean, okay. what what is what what would be the, the maybe the biggest challenge, you know, the number one challenge that you would face? Business people will basically say, "What does this have to do with business?" And although if I'm going to get hired, the top person is already into this. Their senior management team frequently will resist it. They'll go, "We're really busy here. I don't understand how this is relating better to each other. Has anything to do with us?" You know. Buying, selling, transporting, manufacturing, fabricating, doing software, any of those kind of things. And it takes a bit of a leap of faith in the beginning. I think probably, Rochelle, that's what you were seeing early on, where, you know, basically the company was meeting with the company shrink every other week. Yeah. So you're looking at going, that would be some people going, seriously? Um, do we really need that? Does that have anything to do with what we're doing here? And then you can translate that to all the different industries that I work in. But mm -hmm. when you look at the approach that I use with them, I'll say, when you want to work on EI, you don't want to work on it in a theoretical way, and maybe sometimes not even in too personal a way. Keep on relating it back to your business. So a technique that I use in the different groups, it's called Great Victories and Crash and Burns. And in those, every single time I meet with a group, they have to take in a skill that I taught them, it might be EI, and come in and talk about how in the previous two weeks they did something to apply that skill to make a business situation within their organization go better. So mm -hmm. what I'm doing then is I'm forcing them to see the connection between EI and making business better. And the more they keep on doing this, they start going, oh, yeah. So, yeah, I have a... <coughs> I have a person in our department, and, you know, he's always annoying, and 
you know, asks me things too many times and doesn't try to do enough things for himself. And instead of me, um, instead of me just ignoring him or so forth, there's just something that I can do. We're starting to get some questions here, by the way. Um, yeah, yeah, we've got a couple of questions. Um, So it looks like the first question is. I'll read the I'll read the questions. Okay, great. I'll read the questions. Okay, you ready for ready for this this question? You know, he's, he says uh, this has focused on restraint, but what about the individualistic, stubborn type person who resists engaging? So I'm seeing this as okay. If you're a boss and you're trying to incorporate this into, you know, the corporate culture, but you have somebody who does resist, what do you do? Um. In the beginning, you just try to get more and more people into the style of thinking. And then eventually, about four or five years into it, companies start making a decision about who we want to be at our company. And so I remember I was working with a company, and this came up a couple of years ago. We've been working easily four or five years with each other. And one of the managers said, there's a person in this company I want to leave, but I feel funny talking about this. I said, well, what's the issue? They said, they work pretty well. They're just not a culture fit. They don't work the way any of the rest of us work. They are the individualistic, stubborn type person that, and I think they let the person go after a while. They probably did a lot of coaching with them first. But there is a point that you say as a company, who are we? And who do you want to be? And let's give everybody an opportunity to work in this style, which is really some version of common sense. So if somebody's going to come in every day and say, you just need to leave me alone. When you look at any high-functioning company, it's always a team sport. So the answer ultimately is no. Let's go on to the second question. Yeah, what will be the best way to approach the CEO about starting this training? Pretty simple. Can, I just thought, you could go to your CEO, say I was in a, a podcast from IMTS, be an expert on emotional intelligence, and process is pretty cool. And I was wondering if we might have a cup of coffee and just talk about it. The thing is, is that if your CEO shows some interest in it and says, well, where do I learn more about this? Give him a copy of the book or yeah. give him a reference to the book. You could do oh, that. Copy of the book. That's well, awesome. and you could also watch, have them watch the, watch the webinar. So. Exactly. So that's a, a simple way to do that. And then you have to just see if, you know, if the CEO will bite. Is she interested in it? And if she is, you're off to the races. And if not, at least you try. And, and sometimes it's just worth trying. Another thing you can do is, is that, if you know that senior managers are really not into this stuff, but there's a group in the middle that might be into this stuff, a lot of times mid-level managers are into this stuff, um, see if a group of people want to get together and have a book club. Everybody get a copy of the book, take the test, you talk about your scores a little bit, you could do that. But I'd start with the CEO. See if he or she is willing to entertain the thought of what happens if we have a higher EI workplace. You will never regret yeah, I, and I think the fact that I think the fact that you asked the question, I'm I'm going to guess that that at least uh, 
feels that the CEO will at least uh, you know listen listen to the conversation. Uh, so uh, you know, and I th and obviously those are good ideas. I think I think watching the podcast is a great uh, or watch, watching the webinars is is a great example. Um, well, we're really we're, we're we're right at our time right now, and uh, don't see any other questions. I want to make sure that uh, thank you, Rochelle, for switching that to. Uh, uh, but here's here are here's the contact information for reaching Dr. Jim, uh, and you can and he has his website right there, tsgdrjim.com, and uh, make sure you go out and order that book, uh, EI 2.0, and uh, do a self test on that. Uh, and if you have any other further questions about that, make sure you contact him, and he will be happy, 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 happy to help you. Okay. Absolutely. Don't contact him this weekend. Um, and uh, he, has, he has a couple of important basketball games coming up this weekend. So, uh, And, of course, as always, if you have any questions whatsoever about uh, the show, IMTS coming up in six months, uh, there's your contact information there. And um, uh, Rochelle, what is your cell number? So let's make sure we give everybody your cell <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> So I'm going to turn it back over to Rochelle. Thank you, Dr. Jim. Uh, Rochelle, take You're it away. Thank you, Dr. Jim, for hosting this webinar. Thank you, Steve, for jumping in with those crucial questions. And thank you guys for joining us. This was a great webinar. Um, thank you guys so much. And we will see you next month. Bye, everybody. Bye. Don't see. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>